0: What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know, but now the battle begins. Dueling
1: Decades. Let's
2: see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting on Pod TV Live from the Podcast New York Studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades, the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we return with a best-of-the-worst duel. I will be competing with the worst of July 1998 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off is a man who's trying to prove that sometimes it's good to be bad. Say hello to Man Crush.
3: What's up, everybody? That's right. I have the uh, the worst, I guess, technically, of July 1988. And if you didn't know, even though Mark said it, we are on pod dot Live. And you can uh, you can find that on your Roku, on your Fire Stick, on your Apple. And what are we on, guys?
2: Pod TV Live.
3: Oh, we just hit it three times. Sweet.
2: Also returning to the show, and despite those internet rumors, he's not Carter, but you can welcome him anyway. It's the incomparable Mike Ranger.
0: Well, hello, everybody. I'm representing July of uh, 1978 with some of the worst stuff you've ever ever heard of
2: and as always here on the show we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness so this week's guest judge is the media king of the north please welcome back behind the bench judge joe
3: finley hey guys camera oh
1: Hey, you! I mean, you, I couldn't contain the gorgeous in my previous cameras, so we had to upgrade. But today I get to do some of my favorite things, create some content and rank my friends. So let's get to work.
2: <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, Duelers, to review the show. Listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling all right let's go right over to joe finley for the coin toss which will be between mike ranger and man crush this week
3: i'm you know what i'm gonna call it this week Ooh, i'm, I'm gonna do it this week mike no you're allowed i never get to call Colin it i jumping in why not we're on podtv.live. i'm calling
0: <laughs> yeah i mean if there was ever a place that you were gonna call it it might as well be on pod Live. <clears throat>
3: yeah that's right or on your roku or fire stick yes or Apple TV. Yes. Or on your computer. Just pod TV, guys. Yeah. Uh, I'll go heads, though. What, what are you going to be flipping? I'm going to flip.
1: I'm going back to my classic app that we've done a few times in the past. and I'm gonna sh- We're going to do this one live if it actually focuses for me. So we've got our heads here. It's a Lincoln penny. I don't have pennies in Canada anymore. I miss it. So here we go. You've called heads.
3: Ooh, dramatic. Looks like
1: a head to me. Ooh.
2: All right, Man Crush, you win the coin toss, you take control of the board, and you get to select our first category.
3: Uh, Let's just start with movies. Ooh. All right. <laughs> let's do that. I think that's uh the prime thing to do. It's a, a best of the worst episode, so we'll see where this goes. All right, so let's go to uh, July 22nd of 1988, and uh, you know what? This one was on HBO all the time when I was growing up. And it's a movie that I actually liked at the time. And I'd go out on the limb. I'd say Mike Ranger probably enjoyed this one as well. Probably still does. Uh, That said, I don't think that that is popular opinion. Shocker that we would like a movie that nobody else does. But for one, uh, this is a sequel to an absolute classic. So right there, the bar is already set really high. And obviously, I think we can all agree that most sequels, they don't measure up to the original anyway. But it still needs to be well done, right? Like, we want something to be okay. Especially when it comes to part two. Part three, it's a, it's fine. Part two, eh. So, and the other thing is, this one on IMDb has a 3.8 out of 10. So, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people felt that this movie was complete shit. Uh, but another downside to this one, it's hard to get people excited when you wait eight years for the sequel and you bring in basically a whole new cast except for one guy. You know, especially when it's an ensemble. It's like, wh- what are you doing? Uh, so at the box office, this movie took in uh, nearly $12 million worldwide. which is about $28 million in 2021 against a staggering $20 million budget for a comedy. Yeah, seriously uh, Apparently, uh, you know, the studio They had coerced Harold Ramis To write this movie uh, He got some encouragement from Roddy Dangerfield And he decided to do it uh, You know, it just happens That uh, Ramis directed the highly Successful original However, uh, Dangerfield, he ended up Getting into a fight with the studio And he backed out because he thought it was shit uh, Which Warner Brothers actually tried to sue him for After And now with Rodney out ramus said i'm not doing this so uh even though once you find out what this movie is you see how ramus's name as a writer on this movie he claimed that the other writers just completely butchered the job that he had partially did uh before he left the project and he had an an interview in like 1999 or something where he's he's talking as such uh but this flick it, it went on to win uh two coveted golden raspberry awards you had uh, Dan Aykroyd, one for Worst Supporting Actor. And then Jack Fresh, one for Worst Original Song, which is it's a given. You cannot top the king of soundtracks, Kenny Loggins, especially when you have it in the original. You got to go high. You can't bring it Jack. What the fuck? So if you're in the mood for, uh, you know, cute little talking gophers, Robert Stack playing the role of Mrs. Esther House. Randy Quaid beating the living shit out of old people. Buffy Skyler's brunch. Jonathan Silverman being Jonathan Silverman. Chevy Chase literally not giving a fuck. Poison arrows, explosions, and girls named Miffy. Then go out and get yourself a copy of Caddyshack 2. Nice.
0: Let me get this straight. Um, You pull, I suck. (laughs) Is there any money in it for me? (laughs) It's one of the
3: best parts of the movie. Yeah,
2: oh, <laughs> timely choice too. I mean, with the passing of Jackie Mason this week.
3: Yes, that yeah. was uh, that was one. It was ninety, was ninety three, or something so, like that. Yeah, yeah. He he had a good life. Absolutely. And he, do
0: you? Am I right though, Mike? Do you like that movie? Well, actually, so when I was a kid, that we had that one on tape, and we didn't have the first one. So up to a certain point, I had only seen the second one. It holds like this weird special place in my heart, even though yeah. that I know it's kind of shit.
3: But yeah. some
0: of it's funny. Randy Quaid's stuff is, oh, is funny. That whole hockey yeah. scene? Yeah. Yeah, the hockey scene's great when he's fucking when, when he he's like, rubber stack. When he's like negotiating with the other guys, fucking you know yeah. see what what I I go to your house and I and I beat your door <laughs> down with a goddamn baseball
3: bat, you know? <laughs> Kill your dog. <laughs>
2: All right, Mike Ranger, what did you bring for the movies round?
0: Well, Mark, uh, released on July 14th, 1978, was a new comedy from the creator of Silver Streak, starring Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase in Foul Play. The film was not only Hawn and Chase's first pairing, but this was Chevy's first feature film after becoming a breakout star on Saturday Night Live. The film also features Burgess Meredith, Brian Dennehy, and Dudley Moore in his first American role. The film grossed $45 million off a $5 million budget. The film pulls from every Hitchcock movie met, um, available in order to tell the story of a divorced librarian who is drawn into mystery when a stranger gives her a pack of cigarettes with a roll of film inside. Uh, nominated for four Academy Awards and praised by critics, but because Chevy Chase chose to do this over Animal House, it's the worst.
3: Wow, that was nominated for four Academy Awards. Yeah,
0: which is surprising because I've I've seen this movie. It's it's a movie, <laughs> you
3: know? isn't it? Wild, like especially in the seventies when you look at movies that did get nominated. Yeah, if you watched that first and you had no idea that that got nominated, there was no way you would think that it got nominated. No, because
0: it's kind of slow. Yeah, you know, it's just very slow and like the. You're, I think you're expecting Chevy Chase to be Chevy Chase, but yeah. he's only kind of that in a few moments where he's like kind of doing his physical stuff where he knocks shit over. <laughs> he should have been more like Fletch. He should have just done Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> or he should have done that. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Interesting
2: choice. All right, gentlemen. Uh, so for my movie selection, here's a movie that's it's kind of like a fine wine. In my opinion, it's only gotten better with age, I think. And it's one of those movies that uh, and we've talked about movies like this all the time on the show that found their audience later in life on uh, cable on the V on the uh, rental walls of stores everywhere. Upon its release, this movie was panned by critics and audiences, and uh, it only made about seven million dollars worldwide off a twenty five million dollar budget. I give you a movie that's based on the real life game that writer-director David Zucker created with his friends and played in the driveway of his childhood home. For me, I never got why people dislike this movie. It's actually one of my favorite 90s comedies. Stepping up to the plate, July 31st, 1998, it's Basketball. Now, I'm sure this is a movie that everybody is going to be familiar with, and if you're not, you definitely should be. It's one of those great bad movies. But in July of 1998, a lot of people just thought it was the worst. So let's go to the Northeast Northwest Herald out of Woodstock, Illinois, uh, where film critic Jeffrey Westenhoff writes, when one-third of the team that created Airplane teams up with the guys who created South Park, you don't expect them to crank out a Jane Austen adaptation. Basketball is as tasteless as expected. Filled with outrageous gags about sex and bodily fluids designed to make an audience cry, I don't believe they did that. The film's timing would have been be- could have been better, though. It arrived only two weeks after There's Something About Mary, which could be the Citizen Kane of gross-out comedies. So Eleanor Sullivan of the Gannett News Service also wrote, Basketball is strictly amateur stuff. From its dumb-and-dumber leads, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, to its weekly worked-out scenario, two goofy slackers named Bill and Ted, oops, I mean, Coop and Raymer, invented a backyard game merging baseball with basketball. They concoct the oddball game to impress a cute girl at a party. Pretty fair, she says. But basketball is not all about the men. Oh no, there's some lovely ladies in this movie. And it was the lovely ladies who gave this movie two Razzie Award nominations. We had uh, Worst Actress and Yasmeen Bleeth, and Worst Supporting Actress and Jenny McCarthy, who surprisingly can do wonders with a trailer hitch. So, the movie used the word dude 98 times and has a performance by dueling decade alumni, Real Big Fish. So, I give you Basketball, the best of the worst, July 31st,
3: 1998. Steve Perry. Should have been gone.
2: <laughs> no more Steve Perry psychodes, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Damn, I love that fucking movie, but that's Robert Stack. Yeah. Again. Was Robert Stack in foul play?
0: I don't think so, but Dudley oh, Moore was.
2: was. You're out.
3: Brian,
0: <laughs> Brian Dennehy.
2: <laughs> all right, well, let's toss it over to Judge Joe Finley and see what he has to say on the movies round.
1: Man, we got two Chevys, we got two, sh- two stacks. What's a boy to do? Um. All right, let's look at these in order. So Man Crush, Caddyshack 2. Um. One of the biggest online arguments I ever got in Uh, was on the Dueling Decades Facebook page when I made the comment, Caddyshack was not a well-made movie. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't. It's funny. It's a really, really poorly made movie. You can tell it was done by a bunch of people who were not paying attention to themselves because they were too busy on cocaine. It's just a series of sketches stacked (laughs) together, sort of tied together with... uh, with a caddy maybe getting a girl pregnant, but then not, so fuck it. Um, But a lot of funny stuff in there, and some of the most amazing performers you could ever hope for. Caddyshack 2 just subtract all that shit, and it's like, yeah, but we'll find some people, it'll be fine. And they did get good performers. Randy Quaid in that time, before he went bananas, was awesome. Dan Aykroyd, awesome. Uh, Jackie Mason, awesome. Uh, But I don't know. It was That one always had just a really... It put a foul taste in my mouth just because it was just not Caddyshack. It, was, it might as well have just been called not Caddyshack uh, to me. I'll
3: give you something positive. Okay, then, let's so. hear And it's kind of like addition by subtraction, I believe, because uh, Randy Quaid's part was supposed to be Sam Kinison. And I don't think I like Sam Kinison, yeah. but I don't think he could have done that part like Randy Quaid did it.
1: No, I agree with you, and I, I I don't think, and I think that's true of most Randy Quaid parts. I would say the same thing about Kingpin. I would say the same thing about most things. Sam Kinison, you want to see quintessential Sam Kinison? You go to Back to School and you watch him as the history professor, and that right. that's that's his wheelhouse. Um, foul Play, uh, it's cool. It's an early uh, Chevy. I uh, like kind of right, you know, getting him when he's at his hottest. Of course, yes, it's him not doing Animal House as a result. But to be really honest about this one, I hadn't thought about that movie in decades, dueling decades. Um, so, <laughs> so like until you said the name, I had like it had completely erased from my hard drive. So, uh, but then I look at Mark and I look at basketball, and I'm going to go with this one because you got these guys who. They've created South Park, this gigantic thing. They're teeming with just classic comedy and Zucker. And they're proving that they can do something, well, the same. It's different. It was an original idea. It was something else. And it was just the beginning of those guys doing that kind of thing. They end up doing the Book of Mormon and all these other kind of like, you know, not South Parky things that, you know, while it's still, you know, uh immature humor and all that kind of stuff it was a it was a different side of them still so i give it to basketball and to mark
2: nice all right i pick up the first point i take control of the board that means i get to select our next category you know we started with movies uh let's go to the music round next the two rounds that we usually save to the end we're gonna do in the beginning this time
3: interesting
2: All right, so released July 28th, 1998 on Ignition Records. I give you the eighth album from Anthrax, volume eight, The Threat is Real. Now, the album debuted at number 118 on the Billboard 200 chart, but then promptly stalled just after its release when the record label would fold and promotion and production of the album would completely cease just after it began. After that, it just became the album, the Anthrax album that no one ever heard. Uh, Volume 8 was a record that was kind of recorded during a very emo- emotional time for the band. Uh, they had just been let go by their previous record label, Electra. Uh, management changed hands on that, and Electra wanted to go in more of the direction of hip hop at the time. So they were signed by Ignition. Uh, a few years back, Loud- Loudwire actually ranked all of Anthrax's albums, they had 11 at the time. From best to worst, Volume 8 came in last, with them remarking that it, uh, that this time it was just the band was kind of just treading water trying to get out of the 90s alive. Uh, Stephen Thomas Erlewine wrote in a review for AllMusic that the album is a continuation of the band's writing slump, which started in 90, with 1993's The Sound of White Noise. He said there aren't very many memorable songs on the record and went to call it a transitional album. Which is usually the kiss of death for a band. Uh, it was the band's third album with vocalist John Bush. Volume 8 features some excellent guitar work from Paul Crook, who also produced the album. And guest spots by Phil Anselmo, Dimebag Daryl, and a hidden track on the album as well. It's a song sung by bassist Frankie Bello that's actually a tribute to his brother who was murdered in 1996. So we take a look at the track listing on this album. I don't agree with the critics whatsoever. I think there's some bangers on this album, and it starts off early with Crush and then Catharsis, Inside Out. Your first three tracks in the album are stellar. They get, you got Piss and Vinegar, 604, A Toast to the Extras, which is kind of a weird take on country music from Anthrax. Go figure. Born Again Idiot, uh, Killing Box, the, the number eight song on the album, another standout track for me. That's the one that has Phil and Selmo on backing vocals. Harms Way, Hog Tied, Big Fat, Cup of Joe, which is another really bizarre anthrax song. And Alpha Male. Stealing from a Thief rounds out the album. Again, with pieces being the hidden track. But like I said, I really enjoy this album. I don't think it's the worst anthrax album. I don't think there's a bad anthrax album. I just think this is one that no one heard. It kind of got lost in the shuffle, and that's unfortunate. And for me, that's the worst. So that's what I got for my music selection. Uh, Let's throw this one over to Man Crush. What did you bring for the music
3: round? All right, so let's go uh, July 21st, 1988. Uh, This one's a little bit outside the box, but this is something that everyone from 1988 should remember considering 80 million copies of this mini Flexi Disc were just given away. And the song went something like this. Mike, follow me if you know this one. Big Mac McDLT, quarter pounder with some cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, cheeseburger, a happy meal. Ah, see, I fucked it up. I would not have won. I cannot get it. But, of course, it goes on and on. I don't even know the whole song. I can't do it in one sitting. But here's the kicker with this whole thing. I don't know if you guys remember this one. If you found the record where the chorus went all the way through without fucking up like I just did, without making one error, you won a million bucks. And on February 1989, 13-year-old Scotty Langreth of Galax, Virginia, he was grabbing newspapers to burn in his wood stove to heat his house. And he noticed that one of the newspapers had some shiny stuff on it. So he grabbed it, and it was a record. And he was it, matter of fact, this was the first record he ever owned in his entire life. So he took the record, he threw it on his family's record player. And at the end of that recording, the record prompted him to call a phone number to claim his prize, which at that point, he didn't even know what it was. He thought maybe he wants some free food. He wants some coupons, whatever it was. That prize? one million dollars, which is roughly two million dollars in twenty twenty one. So then, obviously, his mother claimed the prize, since Scotty wasn't even 18 yet, and life got good for the family from Galax, who basically had been living kind of in poverty at the time. His mom, uh, Charlene Price, she took the money, she opened her own store in Galax, she called it The Price is Right, she married the love of her life, but <laughs> you guys know, this is the worst of episode, I can't end it <laughs> like that, right? So, to make a long story short, uh, Charlene... His mom, she died penniless in her sister's house while she was on hospice. This is like 30 years later. She ended up selling that store for a loss. That marriage fell apart. She took a lot of expensive vacations. Apparently, she just didn't know how to handle the money. Her family supposedly like swindled her for a lot of that money. And then one of her last boyfriends cleaned out her bank accounts, left town, and never returned. Oh, no. So to make matters worse... Uh, vice went and they did this piece with Scotty, uh, this is like a couple years back and they asked him to, to show this rare, like one in 80 million record, right? They're like, well, you don't have anything to show for it, but let's see what the record looks like. So he went to this three ring binder that he had where he, he stored it. Somebody had swapped out the winning record for a losing record. So he doesn't even have that anymore. And then him and his sister top stopped talking. So all Scotty got for finding this rare record, heartache. So I give you the McDonald's $1 million menu song. Can anybody here do it? No. No. Let me give it a shot. To all be Patty's lettuce
1: sauce special. Uh, don't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I was giving myself one chance to nail it, and that wasn't it, so I quit.
3: I, I always got, I think, actually, uh, in elementary school, I think our music teacher tried to teach it to us for, like, chorus or something, but it was, like, way too difficult. So all I remember is that first couple lines. Right. Of,
2: yeah. Oh, see, I always did the challenge wrong then, apparently. I thought you, you were trying to eat a Big Mac in the time <laughs> it takes someone to say all that. I was great at that oh. challenge. But
3: <laughs> Never got the money. No,
2: no. Got diabetes, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're a winner for life. <laughs> All right, Mike Ranger, what did you bring for the music round?
0: Well, uh, in May of uh, 1967, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It spent 27 weeks on the, on the at number one in the UK and changes the way we live. On July 21st, 1978, a musical comedy film of the same name, and starring a who's who of celebrities like Peter Frampton, the Bee Gees, and Leif Garrett uh, was released. Uh, The film pulls from the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's and Abbey Road albums. And on July 17th, an accompanying double soundtrack album was released featuring the film's cover versions of of the Beatles songs. The album was even produced by Beatles producer George Martin. Millions of copies were shipped. Millions of copies were also sent back. Uh, This was the first platinum returns of its kind. RSO, the company that managed the project, uh, they ended up destroying hundreds of thousands of copies and took a huge financial loss. The Bee Gees blamed their decline on participating in the project, and George Martin later regretted working on it. Uh, The album was destroyed by critics. Uh, Here's a few quotes. Um, Must avoid. A utter travesty. Easily the worst album of any notoriety and there's no erasing the fact that this is an absolutely atrocious record
3: that was the only part of the letter i thought was complimentary <laughs>
0: me too <laughs> little did i know it meant fragile and weak-willed
2: <laughs> wow that's the worst mm-hmm. all right joe finley let's turn things over to you and you can pass judgment on the music round
1: Okay, so going in order again. Uh, Mark, the Anthrax album. Uh, you are right. There's some good ones on there. I'm not a huge Anthrax uh, Anthrax guy. I I know them. I know some of their songs. And you mentioned, you know, Catharsis, like, like Piss and Vinegar, like those ones actually came out. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know those. But like, still, I don't know what it is about them. The only thing, the first thought I have when somebody says Anthrax was their guest appearance on, the, on uh, Married with Children. Which is super yeah. short. It's the only yeah, thing that I was think. An awesome... So I'm like, I've, it's like almost to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, they did music too.
3: It was like, <laughs> like it was like, yeah, they're the. You gotta you know, bring the noise. Though, I right? know,
1: I know it. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I just, I, I don't care enough about Anthrax, I guess, for it to be a big deal. But it's a real bummer of a scenario with the label folding. It's just like yeah. that, you, you know, like what could things have been had you know everything not just falling apart all at once the album's got some good guests on it it's so like a lot of a lot of cool stuff about that that um mcdonald's story though man crush is that's an epic bad news did they have that in canada uh we didn't have the contest oh. we have the big mac le grand mac <laughs>
3: That song would have sucked.
1: No way, because Rush would have done it. It would have been 30 minutes long. You, you know how big our Big Mac would have to be to cover Rush's? It would be like the size of a skyscraper. It's like, stop putting lettuce and pickles on this thing. Um, but it's it's just a it's such a bummer like it's almost chernobyl level because it just kept hitting and hitting and hitting it's like it, and i knew the whole time because i was actually gonna ding you on like how is this bad news this sounds rad and i was like i thought i thought that your bad news was or the bad part of the music was just the song itself so i was just kind of waiting
0: just be singing yeah, it
1: so i was just kind of waiting for it and waiting for it and then all of a sudden we just watched a life fall apart so now i ha- now i'm depressed <laughs> and uh it's like a bad episode of dateline
3: really is it really is like like somebody that actually i I, from what i hear that happens to a lot of people that win the lotto anyway oh
1: that's a huge thing that happens if you're not like uh, and the irony is it's the the generous people who get hit the hardest it's like oh i split it up amongst all my family and then they're all doing great and this guy's homeless um okay mike speaking of you know, people's lives being ruined and stuff like that. The Bee Gees' career being blamed or they're blaming their career ending on, well, not ending, but being dinged because of this album and this movie and all that. Solid. That's good news. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's such a thing as, I, I was always blown away by the concept, because I remember when I saw that Sergeant Pepper was a movie I assumed it was along the lines of uh, help or uh, hard days night and i was like oh it's gonna be another thing and it's none of that and i'm like what the hell is going on and then it's like the album and i'm like but they already had this album by the best band ever so who's doing this and it was just like <laughs> you, you're, you're doing it wrong but um <laughs> you're doing it <laughs> wrong stop <laughs> come on <laughs> but uh so it'd be like if like queen latifah redid the white album uh but I, I guess that might be that might be awesome. Who knows? Uh,
3: different strokes for different folks. No, Joe. Yeah, you're
1: fair, fair. Everything's it's all subjective. Uh, but yeah, I just I uh, I'm struggling on this one because one's just really bad news, but it's amazing. It's an amazing story. So I think I have to go with Man Crush just because, A, I love the bad news. You know me. And B, it that. Like, that was just the that was just the thing. That kept on kicking like kicking you to teeth, and it all started with an annoying ass song <laughs>
3: <Wow>. <laughs> oh I'm staying alive in this game,
1: <laughs> all right man crush you
2: tie up the game, you Seems take weird. control of the board we're heading into our final one point round. where are we going, man? Oh
3: uh, let's go television. where was the big three? this is such a backwards game today. But it is the best of the worst episode, right? So uh, it kind of makes sense. Let's go July 29th of 1988. Uh, I've said it before. When it comes to summertime, you usually have very few good new shows to choose from. And with this being a worst of episode, that would probably work just fine, you would think. But uh, after looking at the shows that were new, they weren't even remotely fun to talk about. So I just kept on digging. And lo and behold, I came across this uh, news story about Mighty Mouse. And this sounds a lot more like something that would occur in 2021. But apparently, there were still assholes in 1988. So go figure. So this this story, uh, as it goes, uh, April 23rd, 1988, CBS aired an episode of Mighty Mouse entitled The Littlest Tramp. Which... That alone sounds kind of weird, right? But that's not even what they cared about. On said episode, the principal storyline revolves around Mighty Mouse's efforts to assist Polly, who is a.k.a. that's the littlest tramp, right? Who is a poor but industrious florist. Sounds like a great story around. So after a uh, this villain comes in, he repeatedly destroys the tramp's flowers. She is forced to substitute flowers by using fallen leaves... Strawberries and even like wedges of tomatoes. She's a re- real hustler, here, right? She's industrious. Those were their words, by the way. I would never call anybody industrious. So, long story short, Mighty Mouse he ends up showing off, or he ends up showing off these uh, these fake flowers that the uh, the the whore, I mean the tramp, made, right? And uh, he's he's showing it off to fucking ants or some shit like that. Like it's Mighty Mouse. I don't know, it's weird shit. And he pulls out this mess of fake flowers. And he sniffs the flowers. And we're all aware in cartoons, you know what aroma looks like, right? Like we've all watched Pepe Le Pew. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what it looked like. He goes to, uh, you know, he goes down to sniff the flowers. You see the little shit go up. Well, this asshole... Reverend Donald Wildman, he says that Mighty Mouse is sniffing cocaine in this. So uh, the way, the exact way that I describe the scene is just as drab as it happened in the cartoon. Yet this douchebag, Wildman, he saw the scene much differently than I just described it. And these are his exact words. Mighty Mouse is down in the dumps. He reaches into his cape. Pulls out a substance and sniffs it through his nostrils, and from that point in the cartoon, he is his normal self. Now, when you snort cocaine, what ha- do you turn into your normal self? I do. Does this guy even know how cocaine <laughs> works?
0: I have no idea. I was a <laughs> dare graduate. But,
2: but this is a mouse. Like, it's how a does mouse. cocaine well, he, work on a mouse? Like well, you would think, a, like it's way stronger. So. It's,
3: well, apparently it turned him normal. So this this douche, he ends up recruiting another asshole group called Accuracy in Media. And what did they try to do? They totally tried to cancel Mighty Mouse in 1988. Sounds pretty familiar, right? So this whole scene, it's a whopping three seconds long. If you can even find it, good luck. Because I'll tell you what happened. Because on the 29th of July... CBS, who categorically denied that it was cocaine, folded like a leaf and cut the three seconds from the cartoon. So I give you Mighty Mouse, fake cocaine, asshole mobs, and CBS giving in. sounds a whole lot like a story in 2021, if you ask me. So that's why I had to bring it to the table.
2: Fantastic find. All right, Mike Ranger, what did you bring for the television round?
0: Well, Mark, uh, got a... I've got quite the new game show here. Uh, see, because I, I found an article uh, in the Valley Morning Star on July 2nd, 1978. The headline reads, CBS premieres new daytime game show. The new Tic-Tac-Doe is a lively game show with Wink Mart- Martindale as the host. will premiere on Monday, July 3rd at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The game is a variation on the X's and O's game everyone's played. Each of, the ten, each of the two players tries to win by answering questions with the winner proceeding to the bonus round for additional prizes. The original series was broadcast from 1956 to 1959 with Jack Barry as host and Jack has returned here to be producer of the new show. The first season that was run over the summer in 1978 had a few differences from its predecessor as well as as the syndicated version. Uh, Categories were shuffled at the beginning of the show. The challenger was required to select from the remaining categories after the champion's turn. After shuffling, some categories had a black or blue background, and if the category with a black background was selected, either contestant could ring in and respond. Unlike the 50s version or the syndicated version, tie games did not result in the pot carrying over and a new, or a new set of categories being played. A final jump-in question was asked, and whoever answered correctly won the game and advanced to the bonus round. The series ran until 1986 and was revived again in 1990. Now, um, I was actually playing tic-Tac-toe the other day with my friend Joshua, and he took us all the way to Defcon 1. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do he take you to the nurse's office?
0: Um, yes, and afterwards he uh, got me uh, two plane tickets to uh, Paris.
3: Nice. <laughs> a great guy.
0: Yeah. Pan Am Airlines.
2: <laughs> wow. All right, guys. So uh, for my television selection this week, uh, you know, the year is 2007. Time travel is a reality, and it's fallen into critical criminal hands. With history itself at risk. The United States has formed the Time Enforcement Commission, a top-secret agency responsible for the policing of the temporal stream. So, who doesn't love a good TV show that's basically time-traveling cops and robbers? Well, most people apparently. So, on July 18th, 1998, ABC took this series out behind the barn after just airing its ninth episode. I mean, what could go wrong? It's a TV series based on a successful dark horse comic book and a major motion picture starring who else than Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jack Logan is a time traveler from 2007 who hunts down rogue travelers and brings them to justice before they can alter the past in Time Cop, the series. This made-for-TV incarnation of Time Cop There is no Jean-Claude Van Damme, no Mia Sarah, and no Ron Silver. And and in the role of Matusak, one of the few character carryovers from the movie, Bruce McGill is replaced by Don Stark. You know, Don Stark, Bob from that 70s show. (laughs) Total bad casting on this one. In, In this reality, we get Officer Jack Logan, played by Ted King, who would go on later to be a mainstay in everybody's favorite hospital drama, general hospital and christy conway as a officer as officer claire hemmings you might recognize her from batman returns she actually played the ice princess and had a few good scenes with uh michelle pfeiffer so time cop the series gave us two-dimensional characters and all of the 90s made for tv sci-fi special effects we could ever possibly ask for the last episode the future jack the future We get a nice cameo appearance by Rick Zumwalt who famously played Bull Hurley in Over the Top and Bruce Campbell as Logan's new partner. Wait a new partner in the last episode? Yes. Remember this show was pulled in the middle of its 13 episode run so the final episode has a ton of continuity issues and was most likely probably supposed to be the pilot and not the finale. So I give you the end of the Time Cop series, July nineteen ninety-eight. Let's not go back in time and revive this one anytime soon.
3: Wait, who did what uh network was that? That was on ABC. Wow, and they went that deep before they went into July nine Dang
2: episodes. Wow. Yeah. The last episode, the last two episodes were July eleventh and July 18th of
3: 1998. So this was probably like a, like a March start or something like that?
2: Like, how bad does a show have to be where you're still putting out original content in July and you're like, no, we're gonna pull the plug and just put reruns on.
3: <laughs> yeah. And it actually sounded like it got better. Once Bruce Campbell you that perk like I was like, ah, oh, I'd watch that.
2: Yeah, I think it was only in like one episode, so
3: that's like an NBC move though. Like right when it gets good, cut it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Done. There's a couple of episodes up on YouTube. Actually, I think you can watch all nine episodes up on YouTube, so check it out. Or not. It's uh, Time Cop the Series. (laughs) All right, Joe Finley, why don't you give us your ruling on the television round?
1: All right, another interesting one. Uh, The Mighty Mouse thing with the the cocaine and the the littlest tramp. Um, Obviously, back then, obviously, they... The tramp used to always have just to do with like it was like the home, the hobo at the train station kind of thing. So, uh, but, but let's all realize that in the 80s, the littlest tramp was porn star Bridget the Midget. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, she was around back then. I don't, I actually don't like her. Bridget goes Hawaiian. (laughs) That's a deep dive.
2: (laughs) Bridget goes Hawaiian's an all time class.
1: I only even thought about her because I had just recently watched uh the movie Tiptoes that she makes an appearance in and she has sex with David Allen Greer. Cause why not? Is that like a foot fetish movie? What no, it's a, it's a, it's mostly about little people, but it stars. It's a huge cast. It stars uh, Matthew McConaughey <laughs> and uh, Gary Oldman as brothers, but Gary Oldman in the role of a lifetime is playing a little person and they're literally just dwarfing him. <laughs> like he's on his knees. Wow. He's pulling his arms back. He's doing all that kind of stuff. And I know
3: what I'm watching. Tonight.
1: Yeah. Go, oh, man. And then uh, Kate Beckinsale is uh, Matthew McConaughey's uh, girlfriend in it. Uh, there is a line where she reacts and she said, you had a circle jerk with a bunch of midgets. That line is in that movie. So go. Yeah, just go. You can leave now.
3: That's a button. <laughs> wow.
2: I don't know how this is even possible, but Joe Finley, you win this round.
3: Yes. <laughs> 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 what a steal.
1: <laughs> um, so any anywho who that, that was just where my mind went with that. But the whole the whole like cancel thing, I mean, like cancel culture always existed. We just gave it a name recently. But like uh, I think about like it was the early 90s. They had the PTC, the Parents Television Council or whatever it was. And that's all they did. Moms of America. yeah, And it's just yeah. all they did was just I'm going to watch all the TV and just tell everybody what is sinful. Uh, My wife has somebody who comes into work and literally gives her things like pamphlets on something that's about her as a person to let her know that she's going to hell. And she gets it all the time. Like she got something that was all about st- how Star Wars is destroying like the morality of the world and stuff like that because she was wearing a Star Wars shirt and, so, like, and that sort of thing. So these.
3: What a sweet lady. So these
1: people exist. And when they get together in groups, uh, you know, I, I'd rather I'd rather face off against the Latin Kings. <laughs> <laughs> uh mike with tic-tac-doe i do remember this i i think i remember this show so well just because it's just a ridiculous name for a uh for a game show but i love these old game shows i like the ones that don't exist anymore are the funniest ones to me and if you can go on like the game show network and you end up finding one of those those are the ones i'm always watching i'm not watching paul lind hollywood squares i'm watching like i I'm watching the uh, really really uh obscure ones, and so I got a kick out of that one and mark with the time cop series this infuriates me all the time, and they do it constantly. They just recently did it with lethal weapon as well, but that actually had a little bit mm-hmm. of success behind it um it's it's just a lot to deal with I mean the reason the movie worked at all was because they you know they just threw um van damme in there and he did the splits across the counter and that sort of thing and then uh, actor activist ron silver you know playing his uh you know political role in the movie and it was just yeah i i remember that series coming out and i remember being no thank you uh so now what do i go with (laughs) really tough uh i think i'm gonna lean towards man crush just because it's such a it's such a crazy thing, and the what they have perceived to be cocaine being one of the most yeah. uh, straightforward, like common things in all of you know animation history is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So I, we're gonna have to give it to Man Crush.
2: That's right. All right, Man Crush, you jump out to a lead heading into our first two point round, and you get to select our next category.
3: Uh before I select that, uh do you guys know where we air? Space. In Space, but we're also on podtv.live. Yeah, which if you have a Fire Stick or a Roku, you can watch it in Space. <laughs> That's right. How crazy is that? Or Apple TV, or you can watch it on the web or get the app. Go do it. Uh but we only have two categories left. It's just what do I want to end with? Uh let's go news. Like it. All right. So let's go uh, July 27, 1988. And here's a story. I just ran across this one from a newspaper in Kentucky. Uh, you know, like before computers and like databases existed and were prevalent everywhere, just imagine how much this occurred. All right. So this story, it's out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and it's called Kind Hearted Cop Writes Fake Tickets. Uh, let's go. Uh, Michael Grist says he just doesn't have the heart to write tickets anymore. So for the last year and a half, the 17-year veteran of the Louisville Police Department has written one or two fake tickets a week and names that don't exist for such offenses as speeding, running red lights, and having like burned-out taillights or improper registrations. And I quote uh, Grist right here. He said, I just could not bring myself to write tickets. I had a conscience. I had a heart. I started seeing human beings behind the wheel. Louisville police chief Richard Dotson concluded that Grice. I don't know if it's Grist or Grice. It's spelled like Christ with a G, so I'm going to call him Grice. Uh, that Richard Dotson concluded that Grice wrote the tickets to maintain a high enforcement statistic rating. Grice, 36, has been suspended for 25 days for writing bogus tickets during the past 18 months. But it appears his reluctance to, to to ticket real people goes back a lot longer. Uh, Chief Jefferson District Judge uh, Donald Smalley. Chief Jefferson. Oh, what? Chief Jefferson District Judge. That's a lot of fucking titles. We're just going to call this guy Judge Smalley. <laughs> Judge Smalley said a computer listing from all tickets Grice has written since 1981 shows more than a thousand are in names of people whom the transportation authority says could not find valid Kentucky driver's licenses. However, the state official, this article is really pulled very shitty. It's like a very bad rip. However, the the official letter from Dotson to the safety director, Thomas Custer, recommending Grice suspension, says only that Grice has admitted he wrote one or two phony tickets a week over the past year and a half. In his letter, Dotson said that he's considering recommending that Grice be fired. But decided to be more lenient because Grice was not motivated by greed. Assistant City Law Director. Where do they come up with these fucking titles? Paul Gallardo Gallardo said that Grice may have violated state law when he wrote these false tickets. However, Gallardo said he never determined which statute Grice could have violated because district court officials told Dotson, that they didn't wish to prosecute the officer Grice apparently got nabbed because many of the tickets were returned to the district court because there was no address. It was all fake. So this whole thing is dating back. This guy started uh, being a cop like in the seventies, but they, they pulled it all the way back to 1981 and they found like thousands of fake tickets that this guy had written. So instead of pulling people over, he just like made a fake one up. Ticket didn't go to anybody kept the stats high, blah, blah, blah. So here's an update. August 20th, 1988, the Louisville Police Department did what? He was suspended for 25 days at the time. He comes back from suspension on the 20th. They had a rule. What did they do? They put him on double secret probation. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Mark?
2: They uh, They went back in time and found out that those tickets were all written for real people.
3: He's a time cop. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Joe?
1: Oh man, uh, I don't know. I want to say he was well, like real guess. I want to say he was fired, but uh, I don't know. I I lost whatever my funny guess was, so might as well just go with that.
3: <laughs> he was not fired. He they actually put him back on the job, and you know, a month later they said he started writing these bogus tickets because uh, he was giving people too many breaks. And he felt that his activity level would be low. But police officials, I found this interesting, police officials have denied that there's any quota system and said that Grice was motivated by self-imposed peer pressure. Uh, Grice said that he's hoping to return to the job that he's had since January. So what they gave him starting in January when, I guess, the investigation went on, they just put him in a truck and he just cruised up and down the expressways looking for people that were stranded. And he really liked that job. So... I think that's what they gave him again, but they did not fire him. But it's a cop that wrote thousands of fake tickets to nobody. Wow. And we, that's pretty terrible.
2: We need more police officers like this.
3: <laughs> he's just like, Meh. he's like, Mark James, shitty car out tail light.
0: Wanted for Mopery.
3: <laughs> yeah. Mopery. <laughs> Throw that on there, too. Good. But yeah, I went like, seriously, you think about it. In the 80s, like now, obviously, there's no way that anybody can do this. Like there's databases and there's absolutely the, 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 the trail is just insane. But back then, 70s and 80s, how much did this happen? How much does this happen in any fucking job where people are like, oh, yeah, I gave that uh, that that report to Rita. <laughs> and then somebody was walking around looking for it. Like, who the fuck is Rita? <laughs> But, yeah, it's a cop that uh, wrote bullshit tickets. Nice yes. News.
2: All right, Mike Ranger, what did you bring for the news round?
0: Well, guys, I've got, uh, I've got quite the tail
2: here, you know, so uh,
0: strap yourselves in. On July 25th, 1978, the first human was born from IVF, or in vitro fertilization, which is a process where an egg is combined with uh, sperm in a glass tube, and boom— Dino DNA. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's right. Uh, Louise Joy Brown was the first test tube baby born at Oldham General Hospital in Lancashire, England. Her parents were unable to conceive due to complications with blocked fallopian tubes. Uh, due to what many considered to be uh, the most remarkable medical breakthrough of the 20th century, Louise was born by C section, weighing five pounds and 12 ounces. Her sister, Natalie, was born four years later by the same process. And in 1999, Natalie became the first IVF baby to give birth herself without IVF aid. Um, So, yeah, there you have it. This is the world's first test tube baby, which is, you know, amazing, uh, except with uh, in the walls of the uh, Roman Catholic Church. This is probably the worst to them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And probably the worst to that young lady who was born a test tube baby because how many times have we used that as an insult yeah what are you a test tube baby
0: the the great robin harris would call everybody a test tube baby
2: (laughs) all right how to follow up that jeez
0: a jerk off into a glass tube man
2: yeah i guess
3: (laughs) circle jerk with uh dwarfs i do that once around
2: (laughs)
0: Is that what you're doing over there? I saw the mic jingle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen, uh, for my new selection, uh, coming off the 1998 finals, the NBA was never hotter, and the Bulls had just won another championship and completed their second three-peat against the rival Utah Jazz in a rematch from the previous year's finals. And then on July 1st, 1998, the NBA would go from an all-time high to an all-time low, as once again, money, greed, and bullshit would get in the way and the NBA would lock out for the next 204 days. And despite having a few previous lockouts before 1998, the NBA was the only major sports league in United States history that had never lost a game because of a work stoppage. So due to the lockout, NBA players were replaced on the U.S. national team. And the primary issue was that the player salaries, which the owners wanted to put a cap on the players association, wanted to raise salaries for players who earned the league minimum. Uh, and after talk of replacement players for the next season and canceling the season, totally an agreement was finally met on January 6th, the day before commissioner David Stern's head deadline, the owners ultimately got their way after much damage to the league, the players, and especially the fans. The new agreement capped the players' salaries between $9 million and $14 million, depending on how long they played in the NBA. Uh, the NBA had then become the first major sports orga- organization uh, in the United States to limit the salaries of its players. There was also a new rookie pay scale that was introduced. Um, and, of course, we got the lovely luxury tax, which allowed wealthy teams to just spend whatever they want as long as they paid a fine of equal amounts back to the league to line their pockets. So after the lockout was done and over, we started a 50-game season, but by that time, the damage was already done. Ticket sales, TV ratings, and attendance, they were all down. Michael Jordan had retired for the second time. And in total, 464 regular season games were lost and countless fans. I give you the July 1998. The start of the nba lockout
3: uh, i think that's why i stopped watching the nba
2: that's when most people stopped watching the nba i did the same thing with hockey when they locked out and i, I never recovered they totally lost me there i'll
3: probably never watch basketball again after the united states lost to france oh
2: wow <laughs> <laughs> all right joe finley let's hear your ruling on the news round
1: it's interesting you bring up the U.S. and France thing, too, because I remember they said uh, it was their first loss since 2004. I'm like, 2004? I thought this would have been their first loss since, like, 1992. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just like, was ever, ever since they decided to put Michael Jordan on the Dream Team and every team since then, I just figured that was the case. But now you have Zydrunas Ilgauskis out there chasing you down. We got There's international stars. And they uh, only hey, 76 points. I know well it's the it's the weird yeah everything's weird about the Olympics right now Ugh. forget about it it's too hot out there um but let's start with man crush and the fake tickets uh you know I feel for this guy it's such a tough thing because I go back and forth because we they talk about those um you know the uh, the quotas of it all and stuff and I'm like I don't agree with quotas obviously but then it's like it's how else do they because uh, what would stop everybody out there to just go and just you know tip the cap and just sleep the eight hours 12 hours whatever it is (laughs) uh and and just uh, nope sorry everybody obeyed the law i don't know why it's like yeah there was 20 cars on fire in front of me and there was a gunfight but you know daddy had to nap but uh so it's such a hard weird situation and the way that these things get dealt with and the way that just you know i mean i have a lot of strong opinions police i'm not going to get into any of that but then like the the way that certain discipline comes down and certain discipline doesn't come down but i did love the end of this story which was kind of like he became sort of a park ranger you just drive (laughs) around and just chill out that's that's like his dream job right unless he was that park ranger who i had that one time who kept getting struck by lightning uh
3: 66 times it's funny that yeah. you should say that. He actually had a quote at the end of that article and he said he's talking about that job. And he says, I uh-huh. dearly love doing that job. It was my type of job because it involves helping people, and I was always getting compliments.
1: <laughs> That's friggin' adorable. <laughs> yeah,
0: how funny. do you fire yeah. that guy?
1: I like I, I now have a picture in my head. Like he's just an I picture that he's an old grandpa and always has been. He's he always born that way. He's- no, this guy is. <laughs> this guy looks like an old grandpa. It doesn't matter how old he was, and he's got his pants up to you. He's here. an old thirty-six. Yeah, he's Very an old, old. thirty-six.
0: <laughs> suspenders.
1: Barney Fife. <laughs> yeah. That well that was my thing too. I was like, "God, where is this?" Is like if this is Mayberry, you're going to have to make some fake tickets if there's an expectation. But um yeah, that's that's a, that's a cra- that was just a kind of crazy up and down story that had a really fun nice ending. Uh Mike, you're going to have to just explain to me again what was the worst of this IVF? Like this seems like amazing news. <laughs>
0: Well, the truth of the matter is that I couldn't really find much news, so <laughs> I'm spinning it as the Catholics hated it.
2: Oh, see, I thought you were spinning it because of it's uh, a test tube baby. And no, 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 insult. this is
0: a one of the most amazing things ever except for you know the pope didn't think yeah, so like
1: all you were just talking and i'm just like man all the families that were like you know and i'm like like mike wins is like <laughs> f- families that wouldn't have existed otherwise are here wait a minute this is supposed right. to be bad the best of bad Well, <laughs> oh, maybe that's why maybe like a, b- a lot of shitty people were born because of ivf <laughs> <laughs> no
0: i mean i could have talked about princess diana if you guys oh no <laughs>
1: I remember getting yelled at the first time I went down that well. I was still new, <laughs> uh, and then we go to the NBA lockout. I agree. I stopped watching the NBA as a regular thing. I mean, I still watch basketball from time to time, especially when the Raptors are doing good. But um, yeah, it was that was the kind of the hottest it had ever been, which is weird because it ended with yep. Utah Jazz near the top. But uh, <laughs> it, it it's bad, and then everything just was. I don't know. Everything just got dirty during that lockout. That luxury tax is exactly like, like, you know, like think about that for baseball. Like, you know, say they did the same thing. It was the Yankees. Nothing would change. It'd be like, ah, oh, we're still going to just dole out our money. Cause we've got it. And then the people who don't have it, yep. screw you. Well, but, they do um, that.
3: They do that in baseball. So they, they end up oh, paying okay. it, but they don't give a shit.
1: Oh, they, like yeah exactly it's yeah i I didn't realize they had to pay a fine in it but uh but yeah i i can see you know it's you know the fans have a very minimal expectation uh that its sport is just going to be there you know and then when it's not and then when it gets kind of dirty and like political and all these kind of things plus MJ's not on the other side of this lockout uh you're it's yeah i mean it put a bad taste in everybody's mouth and i get that um so for me i'm gonna go with the nba lockout just because it really it it was a kind of game changer in this i mean i i want to put out the ivf is amazing news <laughs> and i love the effort of twist of the twist but i i can't you know in good judging conscience uh, let that slide so yeah we're gonna go with mark
0: well apparently that lady's fallopian twos wouldn't let anything slide either oh. <laughs> oh.
1: i'm gonna give you just one point for that thank you <laughs> that was fantastic
2: all right well i pick up two points and we're heading into the final round the hot Hun- products round and i have the lead and oddly enough this kind of works out really well for me and you'll see in a moment you know With the NBA on strike, what are all these NBA players now to do?
3: Circle jerk with dwarfs.
2: Let's find out. Let's go over to the Californian (laughs) out of Temecula, California, July 12th, 1998, where the headline reads, Rodman Malone to wrestle today at the beach. Utah Jazz star Carl Malone gets his chance for a little revenge when he squares off against Chicago Bulls forward Dennis Rodman in World Championship Wrestling's Bash at the beach today at Cox Arena at the Aztec Bowl. Malone will team with Diamond Dallas Page, while Hollywood Hulk Hogan will be Rodman's partner. Other scheduled matches include all-pro linebacker Kevin Green and Bill Goldberg versus 7'4", 450-pound Giant and Kurt Henning, as well as Bret the Hitman Hart against WCW TV champion Booker T., The event, which is being televised on pay-per-view, is scheduled to begin at 4 p.m. Tickets are priced at $57.50, $37.50, $27.50, and $17.50. Attendance for this show would be a sellout at just over about 10,000 people in the arena that night. Now, you'll notice that the article lists a tag match with Goldberg and Kevin Green taking on the Giant and Henning. Well, the Monday before was when Goldberg finally beat Hulk Hogan on Nitro and everything changed in WCW. This was one of the high points for WCW. And then we go into this pay-per-view. So instead, of, instead, Goldberg would have his very first title defense on pay-per-view against Kurt Henning. And then the Giant would go one-on-one with Kevin Green, who is just in his fifth professional match which, oddly enough, would be his last match because shortly after, the NFL would get a little more restrictive on what they would allow their players to do. So the main event of Rod the Bod and Hollywood Hogan versus Malone and DDP is one of the worst main events in the company's history. Uh, The match drags out way too long. They give way too much in-ring time to Rodman and Malone. It exposes their lack of in-ring ability and, oddly enough, brings out a bad match in DDP which he usually never has a bad match. You know, botch after botch, DDP and Rodman are actually, like, falling, literally falling over themselves in the ring at one point. Uh, In the end, we saw Hogan and Rodman get the win by what else? An interference. This is the NWO after all. And the, the disciple, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, runs in, hits DDP with a cutter of his own, pulls Hogan on top for the win. So that's how we get that one. Absolute mess of a match. The rest of the card, though, was actually pretty good. Opens up with a Raven's Rules match. We had Raven versus Saturn. We had Juventun Guerrero versus Kidman. Stevie Ray uh, versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. And then we had a hair versus hair match with Eddie Guerrero versus Chavo Guerrero. And the ending is messed up. You got to see it. Chavo ends up losing, but then shaves his own head. And takes like 15 minutes to do it because he's got all kinds of hair gel in his hair and the clippers won't go through. Uh, but the highlight for me on this one was Rey Mysterio versus Chris Jericho. Pretty good match. And it was a return for Rey Mysterio who was coming back from an injury there in his uh, home area of San Diego, California. So it's, it's not the worst WCW pay-per-view, but that main event, it. It, they should have just called it botch at the beach because it it was horrible. It it, it really was. So that's what I got for my hot product. It was a sellout. People were disappointed, but it went anyway. It's WCW bash at the beach, 1998. All right, man crush. What do you have for the hot products round?
3: I sort of have wrestling. Maybe it depends. You could, you could wrestle with it. Uh, July 14th, 1988. I'm not going to be coy with this one because no one is really going to even know what this toy is anyway. And if you do know what this toy is and you probably had a pretty interesting childhood, I would say. So this toy, it was touted as something Milton Bradley would call the body action game. Tuba Ruba. You guys know this one? No. no. Uh, so what was this game? What, what the fuck is a Tuba Ruba? Uh, this is basically some kind of weird bondage game for children 8 and up. And that only cost $12.78, about $29 in 2021. So this is a uh, tuba Basically, this is what it involved. A ribbed hollow tube, a marble, and preferably two people. I mean, if you have no friends or girls were repulsed by you, then you can do this game on your own. But lots of body action, like Bill and Bradley said, that said, it basically looks like two people are tied together with this hollow tube. And if you, if you guys could just look at the box cover, like go and Google Tuberuba, look at the, uh, the box cover in Google. And it essentially looks like two kids who've been abducted. That's what it looks like. <laughs> so once someone wraps the tubes around both people, you know, under their arms, through their legs, around their neck. However, your sadist friends want to tie you up. Someone then drops a marble on one end of the tube, and then both of these people who are wrapped in this tube that's ribbed have to work this marble all the way down to the bottom to make it fall out of the other end. Clearly, this game cannot be sold anymore. If if you played this with someone who is not your significant other, the law would probably be involved at this point. It's It's even got its own little bizarre song that's on the package. And that went something like this. Play by yourself or with a friend. Roll that marble from end to end. Connect the tubes. Wrap them about. Pop in the marble. Wow, look out. Now you're bending up and down, forward, backward, all around. All your friends and scream and shout. Now they see it. Now it's out. Tubarubas, fast and fun. Try it again. You've just begun. I give you Tubaruba.
2: Also the theme song from the human centipede. Yes.
3: (laughs) Seriously, right now, just image, because I can't send it to you. I'm actually,
0: I'm looking it up right now. So, funny story. I knew somebody that had these.
3: Oh, they get I
0: never, I never saw them with the, with the marble, but I remember him having these. That's like, the thing. Uh, the
1: marble went missing. So 20 to one, these people spent like a lot of time in jail right afterwards. Yeah.
0: I can still like, <laughs> I still kind of see myself yeah. in like these neon spandex biker shorts that I had, um, kind of like, cause these were all neon colors and like, I kind of remember like wrapping it around my arm. Yeah. That's weird. I, I actually, didn't know what it was called though. I actually That's have
3: crazy. I found it somebody posted it on eBay. And I know eBay is gonna say 1987, but because they probably printed the boxes in 1987. Yeah when it first went on sale in 1988. And if you go to eBay and you look it up, there are a few of the listings on there. People are selling them for like 50 bucks. But one guy has like all the instructions in the pictures, and they're it's just glorious. Like it's so 80s. Wow the the illustrations it looks like the dude's wearing adidas but they're two stripe adidas and not three and he's doing oh, a, zips yeah and he's doing it by himself but then if you google it, i mean it's made to play with somebody else tied to you and you're not gonna uh, you're probably not gonna do this with one of your other like dude friends from like your block Be like dude you want to come over and do tubaruba together uh but uh, can people. you picture this yeah, you know, maybe you know. <laughs> we'll teach his own, you know. That's specific. But person. uh, th- it's made for eight and up. Can you imagine? Like I, this wasn't around when I, I graduated in '96. I don't think anybody had this in high school. But this seems like the ultimate like drinking party game.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you're like yeah,
3: bachelor party. Yeah, game. Uh, with... people probably
0: turn that into a bong or <laughs> funnel.
3: <laughs> it's it's multi purpose. Oh. Oh, I got to get one now, man. It's and it's ribbed. <laughs> and apparently it made a really cool noise as it went through the the marble went and through the rib tube. <laughs> for her pleasure, inside out for mine. Oh god.
2: <laughs> all right, Mike Ranger. What did you bring for the hot products round?
3: Well,
0: well, well, uh, my hot product, I guess it's the worst all depending on on your world view. Um in July of 1973 or Sorry, in July of 1978. If you had $10 and the ability to travel to Watkins Glen, New York, then you could score yourself a ticket to the infamous Summer Jam at Watkins Glen, a concert featuring the Allman Brothers, the band, and the Grateful Dead. An estimated 600,000 people were in attendance with about 150,000 tickets actually paid for. That means everybody else saw it for free. Uh, this this thing was massive. It caused insane traffic jams. So many people arrived a day early, they actually got to see the band's soundcheck, uh, checks on the 27th. Uh, as for the concert, uh, these guys played extended sets and also played an hour-long encore with all three bands on stage. This was the last concert that was held at Watkins Glen International Raceway until 2011 when Fish played there. Sounds like a, a great time, um, unless you're man crush who absolutely hates the dead. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah. So anybody who doesn't like jam bands had a miserable time. However,
3: this sounds amazing. You're you're aware that I'm not the judge for this round. For this game. <laughs>
2: And uh, the band was Canadian, so maybe that'll play into uh, Joe Finley's favor.
0: Look Who at else? that. This on, everybody hear me? Every- okay, just just a moment. We'll get started. Ladies, gentlemen, and those of you who like to keep us guessing. During a recent recording of Dueling Decades, I, Mike Ranger, am guilty of spreading misinformation. During the hot product round, I gave an incorrect date for the Summer Jam at Watkins Glen, one of the biggest and most historic music festivals of all time. The events actually took place in 1973. We here at Dueling Decades take our research seriously. This is why you should always double check your sources with newspapers.com to the fans tuning in each week that have supported the show and trust its cast to deliver factual information. I'm sorry. I let you down. I know I have failed and words cannot express the shame and embarrassment. We at dueling decades feel regarding this matter. We are committed to you our valued listeners and are taking immediate corrective steps to regain your confidence in us. We've always tried to bring humanity and, and dignity to the pop culture community because it's your history we just fight for it all right that's all no questions no questions
2: nope nope sorry no questions all right well let's kick it over to judge joe finley for his verdict
1: on the hot products round Okay. Um, we got some fun ones here, though. The bash at the beach. I actually, I have a very specific memory of this. Used to go to my friend's place and he'd have that like satellite hookup thing and we'd watch all the wrestling pay per views. Even like weren't big WCW fans, but we'd go and we'd watch every one of them anyways. And we'd always end up mad. Very few of them came out so well where you're just like, whatever. And I remember exactly the words that I said at the end of this pay per view when it just kind of went to that like, still of like thanks for watching kind of thing and we sat in silence for a moment and i looked at my friend and i go see that's what i'm talking about (laughs) that was my exact reaction i was like (laughs) every time we go to this because the whole show exactly like you said like almost every single uh, match in the card has somebody who is or is about to be a wwe hall of famer like that's like just Everybody: Eddie Guerrero, Ray Mysterio, Chris Jericho. Um, you mentioned DDP. You mentioned like all the all these people. It's it was an embarrassment of riches that they squandered over there with things like this main event: this Malone and DDP versus Rodman and Hulk. These are the people, and like this is just them showing you who they are because it wasn't too much longer in the future. I think it was the future when they gave David Arquette the championship. Like that's yeah. This is who they are, and this was probably, like you said, this was shortly after uh, Goldberg winning the championship. So this is like the most attention on them at one time. I like. I'm willing to bet that more people, like who were yeah. WWE fans, like exclusively tuned in for the first time to like, like really like, okay, what is this all about, kind of thing.
2: And yeah, I mean Goldberg had just won the belt. The the week before on Nitro, yeah. So. Like, and what
1: a waste! Why would you have not, you know, do yeah. do your weird uh, Malone DDP Rodman? Maybe with somebody else, make that the second last match, and then give the Hulk uh, uh, Goldberg the main event. Then that's one of the best WWE pay- or WCW pay per views of all time. Uh, but that's what they did: is they would get the ball and they would fumble it at every opportunity. Um, enter Tubaruba. Oh my god! You were describing this thing to me, and all I could think about was describing like it was like I made this Darth Vader toy, and it's just one long shaft with his helmet, and you can set him to vibrate, and you can set him to vibrate so you know when he's using the force. Like it's just like it was like that was a sex crime that description.
3: If you uh- if you go into the chat, I just posted a link to the picture of the box. Tell me that doesn't look like. Two happy abducted children.
1: <laughs> I saw. I did see that, but you're right. they they look like they're all tied up, and it's just, uh, yeah. That that's definitely got to go up when we when this comes up. It's definitely got to go up on the uh on the on the Facebook page because good God, uh, there was nothing innocent about. Like this is people laughing. Like if they didn't know what was going on, then they can't be a company. Still, it's impossible. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, let, that, let, me
3: read, let me read you a couple steps from the instructions. I might leave. Okay. Uh, let's, says, let's do um, it. Uh, I might as well just start from A, right? There's uh, A through F. A. Slip large loop of one wrist ankle band over your wrist. B. Then wrap tube around your body any way you choose or have a friend wrap you up. C. Slip other wrist ankle band, the large loop, near the goal, around your ankle. D. Attach clamps over any two tubes that cross over each other or near each other. Clamps prevent the tube from sliding down your body during gameplay. E. My favorite one. Firmly pop any color ruba into the starting gate with your thumb. Hint. Beginners may want to watch the darkest. Beginners may want to play with the darkest ruba first because it's the easiest to spot in the tube. Then wriggle, twist, and turn and maneuver that ruba through the tube to the goal.
0: This kind of sounds like that uh, IVF thing.
1: (laughs) Yes. Last (laughs)
3: one, F. To remove the ruba, shake goal until ruba falls out of the small hole. (laughs) <laughs> so the ruba is the ball i guess yeah,
0: yeah. oh man it's like the marble get, get me some ruba
1: yeah like that sounds less to me like a fun game for kids and more of a way for me to save my marriage after doing nothing but podcasting for the last six years <laughs> yeah <laughs> like good lord
0: yeah, like, can you imagine? It sounds like you're going ballroom dancing.
3: Are we going to Tubaruba tonight? What did you do at Joey's house? Ugh, oh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> played Tubaruba, ate stovetop. <laughs> His uncle came over, it got weird.
1: Yeah, let's just say I played a game and I know a lot more about myself than I did going in. <laughs> and then let's go over to the Watkins Glen. Uh, yeah, it's that. that's one of those crazy just like concert experiences. And it's like a lot of big names in it and stuff like that. Again, I don't really know how it's necessarily a bad hot product. Again, if, if you don't like the jam bands, yeah, I get you. But, uh, I, I got no problem with a jam bands. Jam bands, I'm very middle of the road on all of them. And that includes fish, the dead, and all that. If they're on, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's that's a thing that exists. And it's, you know, it's not repellent to my ears. And that's good enough for me. <laughs> it's, you know, it doesn't sound like somebody like and throat singing like <clears> throat> at me or something like that. Right. So um, I don't know. I find that pleasant. I don't find it bad news again or like not. You know it's I mean. 1978. You there's not a lot of choices. Not a lot of channels. I'm I'm not mad at you. You you deal. I you know this is this is the this is the uh, bonus of having a contestant as a judge. He gets it. I I understand. Like you're saying that. And I'm like oh yeah. I know exactly what newspapers.com look like for you this yeah. day. How am uh, I supposed
3: to fucking compete with Tubaruba? You're not. <laughs> We're well, supposed to shake the goal until the ruba falls out of the small hole. Duh.
1: I'm not gonna lie to you. I was just about to give this to Mark, and then you said those words, and now Man Crush wins. <laughs> no, I, I, that's that's the end. I don't know how
0: you weren't gonna give it to him. It's
1: Tubaruba. I, it, it, my, my, uh, it, because I didn't know what it was. Really, it's, we were talking about a bad hot product. The hot, you still should know what it is, and I knew all too well about that WCW thing. But Tuberuba, uh, it it wins. But it is the most. Re- ridiculous thing you explain that to any human yeah. being and there's you they will assume that you are pranking them you
3: have children was... if, if somebody bought this for your kids for a birthday present this would go right in the trash in my house i'd be like oh no oh, i
1: would wrap i'd wrap the tuba thanks. around their throats and say you stay away from my family yeah,
2: you, you can't let siblings play this together no. <laughs> that <laughs>
0: That's like a gift that you automatically know is going to suck before you even take it out of the box. <laughs> you just look like, at the like picture. One, yeah, like one year I got the power glove for Christmas and it was like the greatest present ever until I hooked it up and then it was the worst present ever. But that present, would I wouldn't even unbox it.
3: Uh, and it kind of looks like uh, the character guy in the instructions kind of looks like David Bowie with black hair and sunglasses.
1: He would be the person to give this to two children and say, "I have a fun game to teach you." But like him as like Jareth from Labyrinth, like he just should.
0: yeah. And he's got the tuba in his in his pants. That's what the bulge is.
3: <laughs> no, no, I'm doubt. picturing uh, him and Mick Jagger playing this game with
2: Mama Fratelli over in the corner watching.
0: <laughs> Imagine Ozzy playing that game. Him and-
1: Sharon. <laughs>
2: Sharon, turn to the left. <laughs>
1: Ah, Sharon, it tastes (laughs) like a step. So, yes, we're going to stop calling it Tuba Ruba, though. We're going to call it Tuba Luba for the rest of our lives. And, uh, yeah, I I got nothing better for that.
3: I think somebody needs to purchase this. And, uh, like, a video needs to be done with two adults doing this.
2: We could have a Tuba Ruba tournament right on our Facebook page. People can just post up
1: videos. It would be fantastic.
3: Somebody would break a hip.
1: Yeah. <laughs> When's the first Comic Con we could all attend together?
3: That sounds like a good idea. I say we bring that to the after party. Mike, you yes, we went to the after party. It was yep. Like after party, that
0: baby out. Grown men like me playing fucking Nintendo sixty four. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what at a party? What else is there to do? <laughs> That's my, that's my old.
0: Whole thing. fucking party going on around me. I'm playing fucking Nintendo 64 with a broken controller. Some stranger kicks my ass and then drops the controller and walks away like I didn't have a broken controller. What a fucking <laughs> asshole. I looked at him like, dude, <laughs> like, come on.
2: You're goddamn lucky we didn't have Tubaruba. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: you would have got your ass handed to you.
2: <laughs> this was the game I was born to play.
3: Well, now we can.
2: All right, well, congratulations to Man Crush. You pull out yet another victory on this one with a last point from uh, Mr. Joe Finley here. It's a rib tube. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank Joe Finley for serving as our judge for this one. Hey, Joe, why don't you tell everybody what's going on with miscast commentary and about your great YouTube channel?
1: Oh, well, thank you. Oh, I went to the wrong person. I'm so embarrassed. This is the ultimate time. Hey, you're doing great things. And then I fuck up on switching. There I am. Okay. Well, it is the
2: worst. Yeah. Mike,
1: you just got an extra screen time. Uh, Nice. Nice. (laughs) Uh, But thank you for that, nonetheless. Um, Yeah, a lot of things going on. We're just completing our summer of sequels uh, as the uh the most recent episode we just did best of the best two and we got a couple more great ones we're capping it off with uh terminator 2 is going to be our final one and then we're going back into just normal fun stuff there so uh you know you can follow us on youtube or anywhere you get podcasts for those ones and yeah my uh, youtube channel miscast joe uh it's very much just a how-to and tech reviews and stuff like that uh if you want to see how this show is made kind of behind the scenes if you want to see uh how to design things on obs if you want to you know have a look at some usb mics or any of that stuff uh that's where to go Miss miscast joe drop me a follow there
2: all right mike ranger what do you guys got cooking over on uh the video rangers podcast
0: well we're going to be taking probably the next few months off as chris ranger is welcomed a second uh baby ranger uh <laughs> but uh, there are still plenty of episodes that uh, anybody can listen to at their podcast listening app of choice. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can do that at videorangerspodcasts at and just say hello. And somebody probably will say hello back. That might happen. <laughs> and the uh, 100th uh, email will receive a in-the-box tuberuba.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: just don't smell it.
2: Well, once again, congratulations to Man Crush. And if you'd like a a transcript of the show, please self-addressed stamped envelope to uh, Dueling Decades. Or you could just look down in the description notes and you'll find all the links to all of our social medias right there. And you can go on our website, DuelingDecades.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. And speaking of places where available... Do you know where else we're available, man Crush?
3: Podtv.live, which is available on what? Joe? Space.
1: <laughs> it's it's everywhere. <laughs> Roku, Fire Stick, uh smart TVs, smart computers. All computers are smart. Go, pod, podtv.live. <laughs>
2: All right, Duelers, well, I want to thank you for spending some time with us. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and hit that little notifications button. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone.
1: Podcast New York. Be heard.